Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. So, how do you celebrate Georgia's first national championship in 41 years? You celebrate it with this. There's going to be some property torn up in Indianapolis tonight, baby! Yeah, baby! Shout out to Kirby Smart. Shout out to Kirby Smart for shouting out to Larry Munson. Shout out to the Georgia Bulldogs for winning the national title and for making it worth our while in the second half of that game because I was concerned for quite some time. In the first half, that game was a complete slog. Like, it might have been pretty well played. It was. It just wasn't a hell of a lot of fun. Not much juice or adrenaline in a kicking competition. Am I right? Before halftime... The most interesting part of the evening, the most interesting part of the game was Andrew Luck showing up before that game. And Andrew Luck, of course, immediately getting punked on Twitter for his look. You know, I don't want to be this guy. I hate to be the cooler. I hate to be the buzzkill. I hate to be the guy to break up your party losers. But don't you have something better to do? Don't you all have anything better to do? Seriously, don't you have something better to do than clown some dude who looks happy and fit? You're clowning a dude for being fit and happy. It makes you sound fat and miserable. Yeah, I know. I know. What about that stash, Rome? What about it? The hell you care about a dude's stash when there's probably a very good chance you're rocking a porn stash of your own. And yes, I did see dude rocking a polo shirt under a jacket that he may have borrowed from Goodwill. What's your point? That he's a nerd? That he can't dress? Right. Now tell me something I didn't already know. And I can all but guarantee he's still rocking a flip phone too. Dude is a football icon, not a fashion icon. I mean, you Twitter gangsters really are the best. You kill this guy for being fit and trim. And I sure as hell know you'd be killing this guy if you put on a pound or two from his playing days. Then you'd be all over him, glossing him Andrew Chunk. So what the hell is this guy supposed to do? What is anybody supposed to do if you're all lying in wait ready to kill them for their weight, regardless of how much they actually weigh. You kill them if they gain a pound or two, and you kill them if they lose a pound or two. Yeah, because all of you look like Dadonis yourselves. You all look like Dadonises. He looks like a Dadonis. Look, I know some of you have nothing better to do but to rush to Twitter to go in on anyone and anything. But what I'm saying is you really should find something better to do. He did, and he's wearing it pretty well, even if it does look like he picked that fit up from a thrift store. Who cares? Like, the dude's happy, man. He's trim. He's fit. Now that I got that out of the way and I addressed that, do you mind? Can we talk about the game? Can we talk about the matchup? Because it is a game worth talking about from the very first snap. Although it was a kicking competition in the first half. From the first snap, you could see that was a game that was going to be played with speed and power and violence. You know, if you watch that game, it's pretty easy to see that the SEC is just different. You know, they walk around and they carry themselves like that and they act like that. And there's an arrogance that comes along with it, but understandably so. The SEC is different. They act different because they are different. Well, at least the SEC at the top level. I'm not really looking to hear from Texas A&M and Mizzou fans claiming that they got a part of that national championship last night because they didn't. The SEC didn't win that title. Georgia did, and they deserve it because they got their asses kicked in the SEC title game by Alabama. Perform. So they got their asses kicked by Alabama less than 40 days ago. They were run off the field. They were humiliated. They were embarrassed. And they should have been. But what did they do with that? They went to work. They came back five weeks later. They turned the tables on the tide. 
But it certainly did not look like that was going to happen. Not after Bama pulled off the most casual fumble recovery in football history. Snap back to Bennett. Being chased out of the pocket. Rolling to the near side. They'll sack him as he throws. And the ball out of his hands is going to bounce at the 15-yard line and go out of bounds. Rolling on the field is a fumble recovered by the defense. First down, Alabama. Holy smokes. (laughs) That is. Wow. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's one of the worst calls I think I have ever seen. Holy smokes. Unbelievable. Learfield Radio. Yeah, I mean, you might call that one of the worst calls you've ever seen, but how about my man? How mellow and relaxed and nonchalant he was on that fumble recovery. Like, you see that ball in that situation. In that game, you're supposed to be diving all over it. He went for it like he was picking up a loaf of bread at a store. Like the most casual fumble recovery ever. Maybe to the point of being accidental. However, if you're a Georgia fan, you had to be thinking, oh, dang, here we go again. 40 years of this. Because four plays later, the Tide punched that in and they took a five-point lead with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. If you're a Georgia fan, you had to be fearing the absolute worst. And for a moment, it looked like that was going to be the turning point in the game. In fact, it was actually, just not for Alabama, because Georgia took that play and they used it as fuel. Shout out to Stetson Bennett. Correction. Shout out to Stetson Fleming Bennett the fourth, because he's getting the full government after that game last night. Man, this dude is stone cold. Ice cold. He was more clutch than Bryce Young, and Bryce Young is about as cool a customer and as clutch a guy as they come. A guy like Stetson Bennett the fourth, as awesome as that name is, is not supposed to be in that spot. You know his story by now. That story of him being a walk-on is absolutely absurd. So if that guy actually gets into that game and makes a play like that in that situation, he is supposed to fall apart. He's supposed to crumble. If that particular guy fumbles in the fourth quarter of a national championship game, there's no doubt he's going right into the tank, right? That's not what this dude did. In fact, he came right back. He led Georgia on a massive drive to retake that lead, capping it off with this dime. So it's second down and long for the dogs, second down and 18 from the Alabama 40. Bennett unloads, deep ball, flag down, going to the end zone. A.D. Mitchell fights. He makes the catch. Yeah, touchdown in the right corner, but check a flag back at the line of scrimmage. 40-yard touchdown strike. Bennett to A.D. Mitchell. Hell of a throw. He got Alabama to jump, had that free play, dropped that dime, and reacted like nothing happened. I mean, threw one of the best passes you're ever going to see in an enormous situation, and the guy barely moves. Like, no smile, didn't even change expression. He's like a cyborg, this guy. 40-yard TD pass, beating almost perfect coverage, and the guy nods once or twice and then just moves on to the next play. The dog's defense got another stop, and then the Borg went back to work. Play fake to Cook, throw it out to the left side. Bowers makes the catch at the 15. He's going to score, but a flag is down. Flag down back at the 20. Bowers scoring on the play. Well, we got to check the flag again. Personal foul, roughing the passer, number nine, defense. The result of the play is a touchdown. That 15-yard penalty will be carried over to the ensuing kickoff. So, again, as good as that TD was, Bennett's reaction to me was even better. Again, the guy's not celebrating. He's telling the sideline, look, it's fine. There's a penalty on the play. We're not done yet. Job not done. There's still work to do. I couldn't be more impressed. So he's leading his team back in the fourth quarter of a national championship game against their rival, and the guy's barely breathing. Total flat line. This is a guy also who had been doubted every step of the way. Again, you know that story. Every step of the way, including and especially after the SEC championship game where he and they got buried. If anybody should have been doing the Connor billionaire strut around the turf last night, it was Stetson Bennett IV. But he barely celebrated it all during the game. But I'll tell you who was celebrating. Kirby Paul Smart. Did you catch this guy's vert on that pick six to ice it? Because if you didn't, you should. My man can get up now. Snap to Young. 
Drops back. Pressure from the edges. He throws near sideline. And it's intercepted. Intercepted. Keely Ringo at the 21. Off he goes. 40, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30. Near sideline. Breaks a tackle. 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. 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 Georgia. Let the celebration begin. I'm not sure what was better, the pick six or Kirby's celebration. Actually, I do know. Kirby's celebration. I understand why this guy's up in here flossing with that incredible middle-aged vert. An enormous win for him and for Georgia. They have been waiting four decades for that moment, and he delivered. He got over on his old boss, and he took an enormous weight off himself, the program, and all of Dog Nation. Pretty wild to be talking about a national championship game and not talk about Nick Saban. So let me take a moment and do that right here. Don't bury this guy. Do not bury this guy after that game. Yes, they lost the national championship game, but he took them to a national championship game with arguably his weakest team in a decade. And they had not one, but two brutal injuries to wide receivers in the last five weeks, and they still had a look at it. They still had a lead in the fourth quarter. Trust me, Saban is not going anywhere. Knowing this guy, he's already hit the recruiting trail, and he's going to double down. This is not the end of Saban. It might be the start of something, the start of a new chapter in Saban and Smart, but it's not the end. So, shout out to Georgia, shout out to Kirby Smart, shout out to Stetson Fleming Bennett the fourth, and a shout out to all the property that did get torn up in Indy last night, baby. There's going to be some property torn up in Indianapolis tonight, baby! Yeah, baby! For most of the game, I thought, this game is pretty awful, baby! The only thing we're going to talk about on my show, I'm thinking this when I'm watching that game last night, the only thing we'll be talking about on the show for three hours is Andrew Luck's look, baby! Baby! Just three hours of crap. Three-hour barrage of Andrew tummy tuck tweets. Or why is Andrew rocking Grandpa Joe's mustache emails? Don't worry, he can't drink at all. Never mind Indianapolis, I myself would have torn this studio up this morning. Baby! Baby! Luckily, it's not coming to Oh, that. yeah. I am pumped up to talk to you about Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is the best. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility, right? Believe me, this podcast started out selling office chairs, and today we are selling business solutions, technology, and more, and we're not stopping there because success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path. You can reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. What you want to do is go to shopify.com slash all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify right now. Go to shopify.com dot com slash Rome. Do it now. Shopify.com slash Rome. Andy Staples. Andy, great to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. Good barbecue here in San Antonio at the Coach Convention. Just talked to Pat, Pat Firemuth's college coach, James Franklin. There you go. I like that. So tell me about the good barbecue there. What have you run into of late? 2M Smokehouse. You get the brisket, you get the pork ribs, you get the mac and cheese where they, they crumble up the chicharron and and sprinkle it all over, it's, it's, it's heaven. Man, you can't beat that. All right, so Andy, as you've written, over the years when things have gone well for Georgia, the piano has fallen on their heads at the worst possible moment time and time again. For those who are familiar with it or not, how would you describe the attitude and the emotions of Georgia fans over the past four decades plus? I, I think when Stetson Bennett pulled the Garrow Yeprimian and, and the ball just went backward on him, and the Alabama player didn't even realize he was recovering a fumble on the sideline. I think if you're a Georgia fan, you look at that, it's the fourth quarter of that game, Alabama recovers that fumble, they punch it right in, they, their first touchdown of the night, they take the lead, you're like, that's it, it's over, can't possibly win this game. Because that is what Georgia has been accustomed to. Every time they get close like that, they get their hearts ripped out. And so the fact that they came back, you know, drove down the field, scored a touchdown, got a three and out, scored another touchdown, 
and then they get the pick six to end the whole thing. I mean, it, it had to have felt good because even after that, the next to last touchdown, it's an eight-point game. And I guarantee you every Georgia fan in that stadium and watching on TV was going, well, you know, they're going to score a touchdown, get the two-point conversion, just, just put a stake in our hearts in, in overtime. Every one of them was thinking that. I know it. Until they saw that pick six, they didn't relax. We're talking to Andy Staples. I think you make a great point. Not only that, but not only that there was this here we go again. This always happens. It always happens to us. Andy, the point that you made about it being a Gary Yopremian moment, type of moment, it wasn't just the fumble. It was a really weird fumble. Like, how much worse would that have made it that that was the fumble and then the ensuing touchdown after that? If they did go down, how much worse would it have been that they went down like that? It would have been awful. It would have been something that, that they would just replay in their minds forever and that the other fan bases in the SEC would make fun of them about because they already had second and 26. You know, they, they had a national title in their hands four years ago, and they sacked the quarterback on the first play for a loss of 15 or, or loss of 16, and then he throws a touchdown pass because you blew a coverage and the game's over. Like confetti's raining. Like that's, that was the Georgia football fan experience. And so it would have been, you know, they'd, they'd be calling into the 780, the fan in Atlanta going, and it's 20 years from now they would have been calling in, yeah, when, when that's a fumble, I didn't, you know, that Alabama guy didn't know he was recovering a fumble. It, it would have been that for years, decades. And, and so they, all of that is gone now. Andy Staples joining us. You know, it seems to me, Andy, that even Stetson, he even seemed to know that, right? Like, how many times did he say after the game, we were not going to lose because of that? We were not going to lose because of me. It's almost like he knew that this was going to define me and this program. And to your point, people would be calling the local talk show for the next 20, 30, 50 years talking about that moment. So that said, how impressed were you with the way he and the rest of Georgia responded to that fumble after Alabama did take the lead? I thought it was outstanding. And, and, and Stetson Bennett especially – and because he has heard this, he's not immune to. I know the big thing was he, he's got a flip phone. He's not looking at everything. He's not immune to all of the criticism that oh Georgia could win a national title if it weren't for you. Georgia could win a national title if they had a five-star playing quarterback, but they keep playing you, the former walk-on. Well, that that forty-yard touchdown pass to Ad Mitchell, you're not going to see many better throws than that, and, and in a huge spot. Think about how big that spot was and how great that throw was. And that's, that's what you get with, with, with that kid. He's, he, he's a good quarterback all year long. You know, he was very efficient, 10 yards per attempt. Like, everybody just looks at him and goes, oh, you were a walk-on. You can't possibly be as good as, as the former five-star from USC who's behind you on the bench. Well, if they thought JT Daniels was better, they would have played him. So Stetson was the better quarterback on the team that was the best team in the country all year long. And he showed why in that moment. Andy Staples joining us. I mentioned it myself at the top. That was an unbelievable throw. Unbelievable throw. So what do you think, Andy, Nick Saban was thinking this morning when he woke up? I think he is thinking that he took an imperfect team to the national title game, and that was probably one of his better coaching jobs. Uh, if, you, if you watch Nick all season, he's been a little bit different in terms of how he talks about this team. And, and you could tell kind of early on, that he didn't feel like it was as deep as his, his Alabama teams usually are, that there were a lot of spots that they felt like were kind of questionable. And so the fact that they got that far with that – and I realize I'm saying this where they had a Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, uh, Will Anderson Jr., who's going to be the, maybe the number one pick in the 2023 draft, who I think was the best player in the country. But they were not top-to-bottom loaded the way Alabama usually is. And I, I actually think this might have been his best coaching job to get them to the national title game. No, I agree with you. They were not what they normally are. Let me ask you this. It's neither here nor there. So that said, I'll ask anyway. Does the game play out differently if Jamison Williams does not get hurt? That, I, I asked that when he got hurt. I said, is this going to be the new, does Texas win if Colt McCoy doesn't get hurt question? I think it will be. I, I, I do because, you know, when, when Alabama was trying to come back and they were struggling – and you could see that their receivers just could not get any separation. Of course, if Jamison Williams had been in there, it would have been easier to, to come back. It would have been easier to get separation. So I, I think it would have changed. I don't know if it changed the outcome ultimately, but it would have given Alabama a much better chance to win the game.
Right, I think so, and I think the game changes if guys are not dropping the ball the way they were. Look, when you look at the local talent, Andy, and the facilities and the fan base and more, could you make an argument now that Georgia is, in fact, the best job in the country? I mean, I started making that argument about six years ago, hmm. and, and the reason I did uh, is because Nick Saban told me it probably was. I mean, Nick Saban's the one who's been saying that for years and years and years. He he always thought that if the right guy got into Georgia, that it would be game over. And that was the question for Kirby Smart was, can he get them over that hump? And he's done that now. So uh, it, it is pretty unbelievable. And it's funny because, you know, they do have such great local talent. You mentioned that. But, but look, at, look at last night, you know, Keely Ringo uh, making that pick six. He's from Scottsdale, Arizona. Brock Bauer scoring that last touchdown. He's from Napa, California they're going to go get the best players they can wherever they, they can find them. And that's what you have to do to win a national title now. We're talking to Andy Staples. So, Andy, the thinking also had been that to win a national title, the point you just made, that defense no longer is going to get it done. Defense no longer wins championships in college football and that you have to have an elite quarterback to do it. So, seeing what we saw last night, does Georgia's win reverse that thinking or is that just a one-off? I don't think that's that George's win does that. I think that's been happening in the game for the last couple of years. The the clock rules that changed in 2008 that brought on all the up tempo offenses. You know, Chip Kelly was the first to really take advantage of them in Oregon, and it revolutionized the game. Defenses have been playing catch up to that ever since. They, they've tr- been trying to figure out how to deal with that ever since. And I, I would say probably in the last two or three years, you've seen defensive coordinators get very comfortable trying to stop some of this stuff, trying to stop the RPOs, and you, you are seeing a renaissance in defense. I think the Big 12, which we always joked all the games are, are 65 to 63, the Big 12 has been a pretty good defensive league the last two or three years. Uh, the SEC, which had gone kind of the other way and been, and been really high scoring, came back. So I, I think part of it is defensive schemes have finally adjusted it just took them a long time to do it. We're talking to Andy Staples for a few more moments. So, Andy, that's another college football playoff where the semifinal games were not even remotely close. At this point, mm-hmm. how big is the gap between Georgia, Alabama, and then everybody else in the college game? It's pretty big. But now, listen, Ohio State will have the talent every year to, to be competitive with teams like that. And, and if the Buckeyes had wind up had beaten Michigan, I think there's a good chance they could have been competitive with either of those two teams. But there, there need to be some more teams that, that are going to add themselves to the mix. Texas A&M is recruiting in a way that they might be able to do it. LSU is always recruiting in a way that they can do that, even though they've, got, they've made a coaching change. The key will be, can somebody else from another part of the country do it? And Lincoln Riley going to USC, I think, is, is where everybody's looking. Is Can Lincoln Riley at USC build a roster that looks like Georgia's or build a roster that looks like Alabama's? There's a really good chance he can I mean, he, he's got access to the, to the talent there, and there's certainly a bunch of guys that want to go play for him. So if, if USC could do that, you know, Mario Cristobal built a, a really good roster at Oregon. Dan Lanning, the Georgia defensive coordinator, is about to take that over. He's going to continue trying to build that. Uh, Brent Venables at Oklahoma helped build Clemson. He's going to try to do the same thing at Oklahoma. I think there's a chance you could see some more teams that can be competitive with that group. We are talking to Andy Staples. You mentioned Lincoln. Do you think that Caleb Williams ends up with Lincoln Riley? I do. I do. And I tried to overthink it when, when Caleb Williams announced he was going to transfer portal. A true freshman was the, the top recruit in the country. You know, comes in, plays as a true freshman at Oklahoma, and then enters the portal when they have the coaching change. And I try to say, oh, okay, he's going to go to a national title contender. He's going to go to a team that's been in the playoffs. And really, at the end of the day, I thought, okay, he, he signed with Lincoln Riley because he's not from Oklahoma. He's from, from the D.C. area. Signed with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma because Lincoln Riley develops quarterbacks really well for the NFL. Well, why wouldn't he just want to keep doing that in L.A. versus in, in Norman, Oklahoma? Uh, so I think I overthought it at first, but yet it, it makes more sense that he would continue on with Lincoln Riley. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef very seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Who wants dried 
Tough beef in a bag. Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy. For those of you who like to take things up a notch, next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? You know it's a bad sign when all four of the coaches who have been fired are more successful and or more respected than your coach. And yet, you're still keeping this guy around. For who and for what? Not for the fans. They don't want him. Not for the results. There aren't any. And you cannot tell me the Giants' ownership actually believes judges bullcrap about players on other teams calling him and saying that they wish that they were back in New York or the guys currently on his team begging to be re-signed. I mean, what a load of crap that is. And possibly a violation of CBA rules as well. Then again, it is the same organization that hired him after they were so concerned that Mississippi State might get him first. That's right, the Giants thought they were competing with Mississippi State for a head coach. So that might tell you something about the Giants' ownership. The fact that Joe Judge still has a job after going 10-23 and 23 is shocking enough. But forget about the record. You know what the real outrage is? The fact that he still has a job after he did this. Interesting formation. I, I mean, really, you're at the four-yard line, and, and you've, you don't feel comfortable enough in your offense to be able to run a traditional play. I mean, I, I get the first one when you put yourself kind of backed up inside the one-yard line. I mean, this is sad. I mean, that, that is just a, a complete lack of confidence in faith of your offense to be able to execute a quarterback sneak on third and nine from your own four yard line a quarterback sneak on your opponent's four yard line would be a stupid call but what about from your own four yard line I mean that's not just dumb that's a fireable offense you've got 96 yards to go for a touchdown and you're sneaking it nine yards to go for a first down and you're sneaking it for what more space for your punter to operate? Dude, have some pride. And stop being such a hypocrite. This guy's been lecturing everybody for two years about being relentless and fearless and competing. And then he goes out and he does that? I mean, what a jack wagon. Seriously, how disrespectful can you be to your team, to your fans, and to the game of football overall? To paraphrase Joe Buck, that is a disgusting act that by is Joe a Judge. Disgusting act. If Giants ownership cared at all, somebody would have fired Joe Judge right there on the spot. I mean, walked right onto the field, ripped off his headset, and beat him over the head with it. Because the guy just quit. And if he quit, he should have been fired. The guy who's talked about how hard he works and how hard his guys compete quit. He quit on his team. He quit on the fans. He quit on everybody. That was even more embarrassing than Antonio Brown ripping off his clothes and running off the field. Why even bother calling a sneak? Why not just take a knee right there instead? What have you got to lose? You've lost five straight going into that game. What's the risk in trying to make a play and pick up a first down? But no, you're going to sneak it. On 39, from your own four. Mike Tyson has a phrase to describe people like that. Scared coward. Scared coward. Let's not forget, when he went on that rant after that fifth straight loss, remember he contrasted the Giants with Washington, and he said New York wasn't, quote, a clown show organization. This ain't some clown show organization. Yeah, well, that clown show organization just beat you by 15, Joey, on Sunday. The past two years, this dude's been running his mouth off. That mouth has been writing some mighty big checks that he and his team will never be able to cash. Every one of those checks has rubberized. 
Like, this guy's a joke. And everybody knows it except Giants ownership, which inexplicably continues to back it. And they're turning themselves into a clown show organization as a result. They lost six straight games to end the season. Six straight blowout losses. How does this guy still have job security? Look, I know I've cracked on him a million times, but how big of an idiot do you have to be to watch your team lose six straight games by double digits and believe your coaches claim that they have not quit on him? Six straight by double digits, and they're still trying hard? Who buys that? They scored more than 13 points once in their last eight games, but the team still wants him back. But it gets worse. In fact, it gets insane. Not only does he still have a job, he's looking to get more power. According to SNY, quote, Judge also wanted to have a hand in the GM search. End of quote. (laughs) I mean, get the hell out of here with that garbage. garbage. This guy who was lucky to have a job is trying to get another job. He's trying to seize more power. This guy should hit his knees every single night and give thanks that the Giants' owners are either too out of touch or too afraid to fire this guy. But instead, he's trying to have some sort of power grab and actually have a say in picking his boss. The brass set on this dude. The absolutely insane confidence on this guy. He must be lugging his junk around in a wheelbarrow to have the audacity to want to have a hand in the GM search. Rit can't believe this guy's arrogance. Game on. Man, what was that conversation like? Yeah, I, I can't coach worth a damn, but I better be involved in picking the GM as well. I mean, if that dude even tried to say that around anybody in any other respectable organization, he would have been fired on the spot. But if it were a respectable organization, he would have been fired weeks ago. Instead, he's doing absolutely everything he can to get fired, and they simply will not do it. So he figures, hey, what the hell? I'm unfireable. I'm literally unfireable, so I may as well see how far I can take this. Brian Flores wins eight of his last nine, and he gets fired. Joe Judge loses his last six and has the nerve to say, hey, you know what? You got to involve me in the GM search. I mean, this dude is a cure for the imposter syndrome. If you've ever felt like you're a fraud or you're not qualified to do a job, just look at Joe Judge. Because there's no way you're more of a fraud and less qualified than he is. And he's not quitting. He's trying to get even more power. Never bet alone ever again. You can join in on the action by downloading WinBet today and become a part of the newest sports betting app on the market. That's right, WinBet. The luxury hoteliers are now in the digital betting space and they're offering that same five-star service that you're used to from Win Resorts, all in the form of a sports book and digital casino app. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from football, basketball, baseball, hockey, golf, tennis, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, we have exactly what you need to win. Are you ready to play? Sign up right now. Receive a special offer. Risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download. Bet. Win. Download the WinBet app right now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Pat Fryermuth is my guest. Pat, it's great to have you on. How are you, Pat? Hey, good. How are you, Jim? Good, dude. Good. Great to have you on. Thanks so much. Hey, Keith, before we talk about this weekend, Pat, can you take me back to Sunday? You went into that game knowing that you had to win in order to have a chance at the postseason. So what's it like to go into the fourth quarter of a road game against your rivals, trailing and knowing you've got to do something to pull it out? Did it feel like pressure or did it feel like something else? Uh, honestly, it felt pretty normal. I think that um, you know it was just kind of another, another series that we were going in, another quarter we were going in. I think Coach Tomlin and especially uh, Ben, they do a great job during camp to, um, you know, put us in those uh, situations that are like that. Um, and, you know, Coach Tomlin never fears away from um, facing adversity. And that's his big thing is, you know, smile in the face of adversity. And, you know, that's what we continue to do this season. So I always kind of felt normal and routine. And 
Um, just happy that we came out with the W. All right, so that's really interesting to me. I was going to ask you about Mike Tomlin, so let me just jump ahead to that. I think that's interesting what you just said. I was going to say, Pat, that Tomlin was dancing in the locker room after that win, and I've got to say, personally, I'm really fascinated by Tomlin as a leader, but I'm not there, so I can't see it up close. What was your first season with him like, and what makes him such a good leader? Oh, man, I mean, Coach Tomlin is everything you look for in a coach. I mean, I think that he does a great job of, um, you know, expecting um, and putting out there what he expects from you as a player. Um, But, you know, he also does it in a way where he shows that he cares for you. I think that um, when you have a guy who, and a leader and a coach who um, tells you what he expects from you and he doesn't, you know, he obviously praises you when you do it, but he does it in a way where it's, you know, he shows that, you know, you're supposed to be doing that. So I think he's just a great coach and a great guy to play for. And, um, you know, he really runs that organization in a, a class act and, um, you know, it's it just it's everything I look for in coming in my first career uh, rookie season in the NFL. So, um, you know, I, I love playing for Steelers tight end Pat Fryermuth is joining us. You know, Pat, you had that huge third down conversion on the go-ahead TD drive in the fourth quarter. I'm kind of curious. I mean, I understand that you were going to treat that like any other series, but to make a play like that and come up like that in that moment, what kind of emotions were running through you and everybody in the huddle on that drive? Yeah, it was, uh, it was actually funny. I mean, Going out to that drive, uh, Deontay came up to me and was like, Coach Tomlin told me to tell you to settle down. So, uh, you know, I think Coach C has a good, a good feel on stuff. And I think that, um, you know, you could tell I was a little, you know, a little excited, a little nervous. But, um, you know, just hearing that and having the, the trust of, of Ben throwing that ball and Coach calling that play uh, for me to make a play in that situation just means a lot that the coaches and the, the players trust me and put me in those situations. And, um, you know, obviously it was, it was great that I made that play and it was a hell of a ball by Ben. But, you have to continue to make those plays, especially you know, Sunday we're going to have to make big plays to you know have a chance to win. Right. thing is, Pat, you've made a lot of big plays this year. Your seven touchdowns is a tremendous number for a rookie tight end. It seems to be an indication to me, too, of the chemistry that you have with Ben Roethlisberger. How have you and Ben been able to get on the same page so quickly? I think it's honestly just kind of, um, you know, we understand the game and we understand kind of what we see in it. And I think we're pretty similar in that aspect of, you know, understanding – what defense are trying to do to our offense and stuff like that. And I think it's just, you know, kind of a, I think it's, if you were to ask a quarterback, I think it's easier to throw to a tight end just because of, you know, how big they are and how they move. We all move kind of similar. And um, I think it's just easier for a quarterback to kind of know where we are. So I think it was easier to build that relationship and, and, and build that, you know, trust um, quicker than quicker than most. I get that. You know, obviously, Pat, you're going to want to win every single time you step on the field. I mean, you really did prove that in college when you played through the type of injuries that you played through. But does it mean even more when you know that winning and going to the postseason means that you can extend Ben's career? Oh, yeah, it means a lot. Um, obviously, you know, it was a couple, two emotional weeks, just kind of his last game in, at Heinz Field and then obviously going into where he started his career in, in Baltimore. Um, you know, it was definitely two emotional weeks and you kind of see it on his face and just kind of um, being able to go out there and, and extend our season for him and um, for his career and stuff like that, give him one last chance at a, um, you know, Super Bowl. Um, it, it's huge. And so just kind of hopefully taking that momentum into the, the playoffs. Pat Fryermuth is joining us. So Pat, you took care of your business. And then it was a matter of waiting to see what happened between the Chargers and Raiders, of course. That was the final piece of the puzzle. I mean, were you watching that game, or maybe did you try not to and figure you'd find out who won afterwards? How did you approach that game? Yeah, so, I mean, I was watching it, obviously. Um, I was watching by myself at my house. um, And I was actually getting ready to go to bed. And then um, I was like, no, I'm asleep. And she was like, well, the Chargers are going to drive down to score it. So I went downstairs, turned the TV on, and you know, it was fourth down and ten. I was like, all right, well, you know, we're going to make the playoffs. And all of a sudden, Justin Herbert started throwing dimes on fourth down. So, and he went into overtime and stuff like that. So um, it was definitely stressful, and I'm just happy that the British kicker did what he did and then hit that so we could send us the playoffs. The last thing you needed was Justin Herbert to start doing Justin Herbert things late, and he was. Hey, listen, Pat, it didn't happen, but can you explain to me what that would have felt like if you went through and everybody in your locker room went through what they went through this year to put yourselves in a position but missed out on the postseason because a team or teams took a knee and tied? What would that have felt like? Yeah, I mean, it would it would have just felt, you know, heartbreaking. I mean, obviously, we were all excited. We were we're kind of like, there's no way that game ends at a tie and we're going to be in the playoffs and, and such. But, you know, like I think most of the guys in the league will say is, you know, you don't play the game to tie. Um, I think that 
Um, it was big that, you know, the Raiders ended up going for it and, and kicking that field goal. And obviously, selfishly, I'm, I'm happy they did that. But for the integrity of the game and as a competitor, you never want to go into a game um, like looking for a tie. I mean, it's never what you want. So um, it was great to see that the team came out on top and, and won that game. Right. A couple of things, Pat, really quickly before I let you go. I know you won't make a big deal out of this, but the fact is you played with a torn anterior and posterior labrum in your shoulder in your final year at Penn State. You suffered the injury against Ohio State, but you didn't even want an MRI afterwards because you wanted to keep playing. Why did you take that approach? And I'm curious, how much pain were you dealing with? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I took that approach just because, you know, I love the game of football, and, you know, obviously I don't want to be that guy. With a lot of guys opting out of the 2020 season in college and stuff, I didn't want to be that guy where we started 0-2 and, and, you know, there's kind of no shot of us make, uh, make, making anything meaningful. Um, I don't want to be that guy, especially as a captain, um, to, you know, walk away from the team. And I'm just trying to push through that and find any way possible to play. And um, you know, it, was, it was definitely painful. You know, every time I got hit, it would kind of slide out and stuff like that. But... Um, you know, got to a point where you know, I gave it my all for the university and for the program and stuff that I just kind of had to put you know, myself first um, at that point in that season where you know, I, I didn't think I could play at my best ability anymore. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just excited. I'm just uh, appreciative of that experience. Just kind of put myself through adversity kind of really for the first time through myself. Uh, I think that's awesome, actually. And you kind of glossed over it when you said, I thought it was part of my responsibility as a captain. fact of the matter is, you were voted as a team captain as both a sophomore and a junior. You were one of the youngest players to ever be voted captain in program history. How much did that mean to you, and how seriously did you take that responsibility? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I meant, it meant a lot to me, obviously, just you know, being so young and, and having the guys you know, kind of look up to me as, as such a young um, guy in the, in the program. And, you know, it meant a lot. It meant a lot. And, um, obviously, I think my first, from my sophomore year being captain, it was kind of more of a, you know, look and see and observe as to what the older guys and the senior captains were doing and, and kind of learn from them and from their mistakes and, and their successes as being a captain. So I think my first year was kind of more, you know, observant role. But even then, I think, you know, I had my times where, you know, guys looked to me for advice and looked to me to, to step up and stuff like that. So, you know, I think that really helped me going in, in the long run and to certain situations this year. So, Pat, really quickly, few teams have an identity as strong as the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's pretty clear to me, and I think anybody who watches them, those fans are in love with you already. They absolutely adore you. What's it been like to play for the Steelers and to play for those fans who are so hard-nosed, who love that team so much? Uh-oh. Yo, Pat. Awesome. and okay. you know, We wouldn't be able to have the success we have on the field without them and them making noises and, and being loud and stuff like that, so... You know, I love Steeler Nation, and I love how they embrace not only me, but you know, all the rookies and stuff like that. So I'm um, very appreciative for them, and I definitely can't wait to see them in Kansas City. All right, so last thought, what about Kansas City? You're going to face them on Sunday. They beat you guys a couple of weeks back, but you missed that game. How are you going about approaching this week and preparation in order to get ready for Sunday? And I, Travis and Kelsey missed that game too. Um, so I texted them out. We'll see them in the playoffs, so. It was definitely, you know, it's a dream come true kind of competing against one of the, if not the best tight ends in the league and, and for generations to come. Um, looking forward to that. And, you know, I think that we just have to, you know, play our game and make plays when we're asked to. So um, look, definitely looking forward to going down there in Kansas City and competing against them. Hey, Pat, I'm trying to let you go, but one last thought. You mentioned Kelsey. Like, you're, you're a good young player on the way up. When you look at Kelsey, one of the best to ever do it, what impresses you the most about him and his game? Man, everything impresses me about him. I think he's just such a good, you know, reliable target for Mahomes. And I think that um, the one thing that stands out to me is his, his yak, his yak ability to take a, a, you know, a flat route all the way to a, for a touchdown, um, regardless of where he is on the field. I think that's the, the one thing that sticks out to me the most. Um, and I think that's definitely what Coach T challenges me. And my next step as a player is to, you know, have that capability of, of taking a, a flat route to a touchdown, regardless of the field situation. So, you know, that's probably the biggest thing that takes takes away. Uh, for me, watching him play. Well, you're having a great year, and it's a great opportunity coming up Kansas City at Kansas City on Sunday. Pittsburgh at Kansas City. Pat Frymuth, my guest. Pat, really, really appreciate you making time for the show today. Thank you very much. Great to have you on. Good luck this weekend. Thank you, Jim. Have a good one. And now a message from Discover About Rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that is useful, you know, like cashback match. 
Discover matches all the cash back that you have earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. Andrew Whitworth is my guest. Andrew, great to have you back. How are you? I'm great, Jim. How you doing, brother? Good, dude. Good. So good to talk to you, Andrew. Appreciate you. Thanks so much. You know, I could pick any number of places to start, but i got to start on the offensive line. Life on the offensive line. You know, you said a while back that if people just give the young guys on that line some time, it's going to be really, really good. What do you make of the progress that the line has made since training camp? Uh, you know, I think it's been great. I think, you know, we really have a young group that's going to continue to get better and better. And you really look at it, a lot of players just in their first two, three, four years and you really think for O-linemen that that sweet spot is probably somewhere from 6 to 10, somewhere in that in your career. And I think that uh, for us, you know, really these guys have come on game in, game out. And you're going to have ups and downs depending on the talent level you play. But uh, those guys continue to get better. And I, and I think all of us as a group, um, you know, can be a difference in this team in the playoffs. You know, that or maybe the sweet spot is age 40. As many people know, earlier this season, you became the first 40-year-old to start and left tackle. Sean McVay, Andrew, who's five years younger than you, said, quote, I'm always ragging him in some way, but it's really a backhand compliment because I'm probably just jealous that I couldn't do what he did. I'm going to argue that pretty much nobody can do what you've done. I mean, you aren't just starting, but you are playing some of the best football of your career. What is the secret to playing at such an elite level at this point in your career? You know, I think just continuing to be open and honest with, like, taking care of myself and how my, what my body needs to be prepared. And then, obviously, there's, you know, you have to be blessed and, and, and stay healthy and, and have uh, none of those really significant type injuries that set you back. And I've been able to do that for the most part except for last year. And, and so, for me, really, it's just been a constant process of finding a, a new way to kind of reinvent myself every season, find what it is that I can be better at and uh, what I can do as a player and also just with taking care of my body in a better way and just sticking with that process, that daily pursuit of finding a better version. And, and so for me, it's, it's been an amazing ride, and, and I've loved every minute of it and still, still enjoy it now. Preach. Preach. I love that so much. The fact that you try to reinvent yourself every single year and find the best version of yourself every single day. See, the fact of the matter is, it's such a physical grind to play in that league, but it's an offensive lineman, I mean, especially, right? But it, there's a mental grind as well that can really wear you down. It sounds like you love it as much now as you ever have. If that's the case, how is that so? Um, you know, it's, it's for me, it's a mixture of things. It's one, just an appreciation of the game. Uh, I've always loved competing. I love I love to compete in anything I do, and uh, it's one of the reasons I'm an avid golfer and I play every single day during the off season. It's just I love competing with myself and finding a way to like, hey, all right, challenge myself to respond to different different things, whether it be on the football field or on the golf course. You know, figuring out that figuring out that 58 degree and how to put it within somewhere close where I can make a putt. You know, that's just like trying to take that perfect set. You know, in the big moments of a football game, you know, right when you need it, you got to be able to have it. So I love those kind of challenges, man, of just challenging yourself. And so uh, for me, it's that every year having that kind of mindset of just loving the game, loving the challenges that it brings to you, enjoying playing on the road and loud environments and and winning and silencing crowds. I mean, I love that. I mean, I I think those will be the things I'll miss the most when I'm done playing. We're talking to Andrew Whitworth. You know, I get a kick out of hearing stories about how guys react to you on the field. For instance, at certain points during the season, Jacksonville and Washington and other opposing players have asked you how old you are, and they don't believe you when you tell them. What's it like when your peers or the opposition ask you how old you are, and they can't believe it and the way they react to you? You know, I think, you know, you, you asked a little bit of the mental side before, and I think that goes along with it, too. To me, like, some of those guys asking me that question, I consider it a compliment. And, and then also, it, it's some of the most endearing things. I've had some just great conversations after games with guys who just want to talk to me in the off season, or they want a chance to sit down with me and, and really lay out, like, what it is in their career they can do to, you know, really have a chance to sustain success, not just have – an immediate success, but man, I want to be consistent. I want to have success over a long period of time in this league. Like, how how can I do that, man? Will you sit down with me after games? Or are guys sharing with me that they used to play with me on the video game and now they're playing against me and, you know, they think it's so cool that they're in this moment. You know, some of those type things really give me the inspiration to keep going and, and realize how cool it is these guys look up to me and, and uh, inspiration I can be in their career. 
and go from being somebody they looked up to when they were in high school and college to now somebody that's their peer and, and they can kind of draw from to help them be successful in their career. And so I get to kind of share in their, in their role as well. And so to me, that's, that's one of those things that keeps me going mentally and, and also confidence because I realize how much it means to guys around me. And sometimes you forget, you forget that. I, I think that's awesome. I think it's awesome when they see you that way, and I think it's awesome that you react to them and you pay it back that way as well. You and I spoke over the summer about the arrival of Matthew Stafford. I'm curious, now that you've played a full regular season with him, what have you learned about him maybe that you didn't already know about him as a player and a person? You know, honestly, probably a combination of both is uh, just what just what a guy he is, man. Stand up dude, just works his butt off. Um, I kind of knew that. I knew he was tough from afar, but to really the way he handles things and just let things roll off his back and just competes and wants that next opportunity to be in the moment, to have the ball in his hand, regardless of every week having to be perfect or every situation have to be perfect. Um, he just wants to compete. He wants the ball in his hand, and, and he wants to own it every chance you get. And you constantly have to tell him that, you know, something's not his fault. It's, it's our fault. You know, there's, there's there's moments where it's like, hey, dude, like, you always try to take everything on you. But the reality is, like, there's all these guys around you. We could all play better at times. And, and when we do play well, he doesn't want any of the credit. You know, he wants everyone else to get it. I mean, he's just – he's one of those guys that you just appreciate the duty is uh, as much as the football player. And uh, that's been something that I think has been – Really cool to learn and, and get to know him and his family and, and uh, what a great group, group he has. Andrew Whitworth joining me for another moment or so. Obviously, you've got the Cardinals coming up on Monday night, part of the Super Wild Card Weekend. Obviously, a team that you're really familiar with. They're really familiar with you. What are your thoughts about that matchup? Yeah, great football team. A team that earlier this year, you know, was rolling. And they've had a little bit of a patch, and, and you know, where they've struggled some here or there in games. But, you know, now they're starting to get a little healthier, and you, you think that they'll have the opportunity to get rolling again. And, and I think we feel the same way. I think it's going to be a great contest where anytime you're playing in the playoffs, you're playing against teams that during the regular season, uh, you know, they found ways to win games. You know, they weren't just a team that was hot. They found ways to win games even when they weren't. And uh, that's just the reality of, of being in playoff football. So you're going to have to bring your best, and even your best, you might have to still try and find a way to win. So, you know, this is going to be a great matchup with a really talented team, and I think we look forward to that challenge. He is a three-time All-Pro. He's a four-time Pro Bowler. He won that national championship at LSU, a finalist for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, and he just helped us close this show. He is Andrew Whitworth. My man, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for coming on. Have a great week. Good luck this weekend, Andrew. Good to have you on the show again. Hey, I think, Jim, you have a great week as well. Let's get a shot behind the glass. Reading from my left and my right, that scholarly lad is Albie. Chalk is on the move. And here, look at Ritt. If you're watching CBS Sports Network, look at him gimping his way up there. And I don't know if that's for effect or what. Joined right now in the front row by Ike Ritt. Lowest member on the totem pole. Bang the hell up, Ike. Thanks, Jim. Dude, oh, you're welcome. Appreciate you having me again. It's great to have you again. Just to ask you, dude, you look terrible, man. Exactly what happened? Were you hit by a car on the way in this morning as a pedestrian? I've been hit by cars, and it didn't hurt this much. No, that was not it. I didn't fall off trying to grab my uh, why don't you address some of these things? Or something yeah, address the some of these yeah, things. No. Did you did you fall down and you couldn't get up? Did you... No life alerts. Yeah, don't have the gout. Sorry. Is it gout? Is it gout? (laughs) I wouldn't even know what the gout feels like, but uh, I wouldn't want it if it feels anything like this. Well, dude, of course you've been hit by a car. That didn't surprise me, but this this hurt even more. This is one of the... Well, not the most painful thing I've ever had, but uh, I've broken my ankle a couple times, but... uh, this is this is up there. It okay. feels, and you still, it feels and you still like have a torn, You still have a torn rotator cuff, right? Yes, and that hasn't felt great either, but not the sharpest of pains that this was. Yeah, but you weren't crawling around on all fours from that torn rotator cuff the way you are right now. <laughs> all right, so I got to know, what the hell happened to you between the time we went off the air yesterday and the time you walked in this morning? All right, so I was at the gym yesterday, and I had already... Worked what, on what my shoulder. Gym? What qualifies as a gym? What we're, gym were you at? We're at the uh, LA Fitness okay. here in LA, one of many. Uh, the big one in Hollywood. So, uh, Of course, Rit, because God forbid you work the one in the Valley, work out the one in the Valley. You're going to the one in Hollywood, right? Yeah, it's on the way seen, home. Where people can see you. 
Well, this is true. It's, it's a hot spot to be. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so you're at the gym. I'm at the gym. I'm in already, Hollywood. I've done my shoulder exercises for the, for the rotator. I've done that. I even ran 30, mi- 30 minutes on the... Uh, on the, uh, whatever. What do they call the, whatever, you mean that, that thing they call a treadmill? Treadmill. That thing? Ran for 30 minutes on the treadmill. So How I was, old are you, dude? Right? I was completely warmed up, ready to Parkinson's? go. Do you have Parkinson's? Like, I was, I ran on that thing called the, what, the, what's, the, what's, the, what's my jigger, the, the treadmill, Rit. What is it, Alvy? Is the button kind of things over there? Is it's that what a it was? treadmill, Rit. That's what you run on. All right. So you did your little, I mean, when you do therapy and rehab for a torn rotator cuff, isn't it like a two pound weight where you just do this for like an hour? Yeah, in essence, yeah. And you need to go to LA Fitness in Hollywood for that. Can't you do that in your garage or your I take bedroom? advantage of the LA Fitness for that. They have more machines, and not just the bands. Yes, the machine so. that you don't remember the name of. That's called a treadmill. That machine. Well, yes, that too. That was afterwards. So I did both those things, and then I. <laughs> hey, once- Alvin, pick me up. What do they call that thing? It's a treadmill, Rit. All right, go ahead. Continue with your story. Uh, so I'm 45 minutes in, and so I've, I'm going to go and play some hoops I was going to say, dude, you're not 45 years old. I was going to call bull crap on that. All right, 45 minutes in. 45 minutes in, I decide I see the guys playing ball. The court's getting moving again, so I'm going to go in there and grab and, a couple and games go all before Joe, I go home. John Moran on their ass, right? Damn right. That's how I roll. Of course. All right. So uh, get picked up. The game's about halfway through, and the guy I'm guarding rolls off a pick, and I try to roll off a pick with him. And uh, behind him, trying to challenge a shot. And when I plant my did right... Did you run through a pick? Did you play through that pick? I ran around the pick. I'm nimble still. Okay. All right. And I plant my right foot to go get him, and my calf just explodes. And ah, it, ah. you could feel it pop. You it felt was, a pop. I felt the pop. I knew right away. Did you hear a pop or just feel a pop? No, I felt it. Uh-huh. I felt it. Which calf, left or right? Right. Right, right leg pushed off the right leg. The old dreaded non-contact injury, and uh, it was immediate, man. I was just like, "Oh crap, Ola! I'm, I am done. Get me out of here next. Right, so Pick somebody else to up. Wait, let's go back to that part about you said, "quote I got picked up." Like, like somebody on one of those two teams said, "Oh, I'll take that old guy over there." Is that what you're saying? I've had to work. About 15 years of this gym for them to know who I finally am. And even at this age, yes, they... What's it like? No, you take him. No, you take him. No, you take him. No, you take him. I'm not taking him. I've had many years of that. Yes. I'm going to so. say yesterday that's what happened. And then and then what happened? Somebody took you and then you exploded your calf right on cue. Of course, right? After exploding about three threes, yeah, I, I exploded my calf. All right, so did you go Kobe and shoot your free throw and walk off on your own? Did you go Karan Butler after his kneecap slid all the way down his leg and wave everybody off? Or did you go Paul Pierce and call for the wheelchair? Oh, it was straight wheelchair. It was straight hatchet. I was out. For real? Pick me up. Get. I'm done. I slithered off the court and crumbled in the in the corner where my bag was, and just tried to put my shoes on and and get out of there before anyone started trying to offer me help. (laughs) Which you're making no sense whatsoever. So you you're in unbelievable pain, but you slithered out of there before anybody could help you. Why why are you above help? Because you're so prideful. No, because I probably looked. The part of someone who needs help. Right. Old, beat (laughs) up, decrepit. I don't want to be that guy. Who wants to be that guy? Did the gym come running out to try to get you to sign a waiver because they were not liable? Or did you have to sign a waiver before you got your old ass on the floor to begin with? That's a good point. I've never actually thought okay, about so that. Now I you're should feeling have rolled litigious, up and said, this is you? the gym's fault. Now you're feeling litigious, no, I've aren't never you? done that. I have busted myself up at the gym more than one occasion. Garrett, so. I'm sorry, but this is embarrassing. You got wheeled out of a 24-hour fitness. I wish I, I should have gotten wheeled out. I limped down like, and if you've been to this one, it's got like 50 stairs from the gym down to the actual Hollywood Boulevard. So you have to like lunk down 50 stairs and then like 50 more stairs to get down to the parking lot. They don't have one of those chairs like on the, the railing that you can sit on and ride down. <laughs> right. Right. You no? Know? I would have given anything to have that at that point. Yeah. Right, so did you get any medical attention at all? Did you go to the emergency room? Did you go, or did you just slam a handful of ibuprofen and just keep going? Uh, my medical, uh, anything medical required a couple of leaves and slapping on a tiger balm patch on my calf when I got home. That's about it. What kind of leaves? Cron? No, I wish. No, I don't go that route. Tea leaves? Marijuana leaves? What kind of leaves? I said leaves. Maple leaves? 
What? A leaves. Oh, a leaves. I think he said leaves. <laughs> leaves. Okay, a leaves. All right, so is it any better today than it was yesterday? I mean, barely, but not much. No, I mean, when I'm sitting here right now, it doesn't hurt. But when I try to move at all, put any pressure Where's on it, What's the adrenaline, dude? You're on done. the air. Isn't the adrenaline kicking in? Don't you feel great? Right now, I feel great. Yeah, I feel at home. This yeah, is where I should it, be. <laughs> right now, I feel great because I'm at home. This is where I should be. I knew it, Garrett. I knew it. I feel it. like I I'm going to you know, take this mic up with me back up to the back row. This is where I should be is, is so writ, the most writ thing ever. You know what you should do, dude? I would go right back to that gym today and run again. Just loosen it up. That's all you have to do. You just need to loosen it up a little bit, man. Just get a good stretch in because you know you'll be the first one picked. Ask you and then just run. <laughs> uh, it would look pretty bad. And I've had this happen before, not exactly while playing. But uh, this calf injury, this was going to put me on the on the man for like at least a month, month or two at, at the minimum. So now you have to worry about two injuries, dude. Now you have to rehab two things. God tell knows me, and the shoulder's going to fix. Yeah, I have no idea how that All right, how so long tell that me, and, and you hurt the shoulder because you started boot camp to get in shape, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you went out as you were rehabbing your shoulder and thought, hey, man, yeah. there's, a, there's a local run right there. They need me. They're looking at me. They're wondering why I'm not coming in. And then you got jacked up doing that, too. Literally, while rehabbing my one injury, oh, I get man. an next injury five minutes later. Yes. What's next, dude? There, I don't know, but there will be one. Oh, I'm there's sure. no doubt about that. Yeah. I'd pour a bunch of sugar on that thing right now. All right, dude, I, I'm really sorry to hear this. I mean, sincerely, because I know the next thing's going to be, hey, boss, I need nine weeks off. It's paid, right? Dude, that try not to get hurt going back really? to the, Is that part of the thing? No, dude, stop. <laughs> try not to get hurt going back to the back row, all right? Just, just do that. Hey, Alvin, carry him back. Do a little piggyback ride back to the back row. Ike, I'm truly sorry. And, well, at least you you are where you should be for five minutes, so that had to feel good. Thanks. Uh, schedule me in again next week sometime. I'll yeah, be, I'll you know, definitely I'm not free. do that. Thank you very much, Joe Judge. I will definitely not do that. <laughs> Ike Ritt, my man. Good night, now.